This is Potter Quest, live from the heart of Brooklyn. Potter Quest is an hour-long podcast about everything in and relating to technology. Starring three techno experts, Eric Newman, hi, Chris Grabowski, hello, and Tyler Dinner, hey there. This week's episode, whose internet is it anyway? Hello, everybody, and welcome to yet another Polar Request. My name is Eric Newman, and we're coming from to you deep from the heart of deep in the heart of Brooklyn as I mess up my prepositions. To my left, as always, is the wonderful, the knowledgeable, the insufferable Chris Grabowski. Hello, how are you? I'm doing all right. Uh, and to his left, across the East River again, is Tyler Dinner. Hello. Hey, guys, how's it going? Good. Good. Well, we um, had... Uh, I don't know what's what's going on. <laughs> how's how's it going with you guys? Pretty pretty good. Pretty 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 good. Okay. Um. Well. Went outside. Told me it was nice today. Did you go outside today? <laughs> not. You did oh, not. Okay. I'm s- sorry to hear inside. that. It was Can you get a little closer to the microphone? I feel like we're losing you, Tyler. I'm sorry. I apologize. That's quite alright. It's quite all right. Okay, so um, last week we had some really great feedback about uh, the space episode that we did. And we had uh, Brendan Byrne on, just as a quick recap, who is uh, NP, the NPR affiliate in Orlando, WMFEs. He's their space reporter, and he spends his life reporting on NASA and space and a bunch of other cool stuff. And um, we talked about a lot of stuff last week about space and uh, NASA's open source stuff and um, the the future and possible Mars exploration. One thing that um, well, first uh, that was a very non-coding, very non-coding episode. Though we did manage to talk about some code. What did you think about that, Christian? I thought it was pretty interesting. Um, definitely cool stuff. A little uh, different, uh, but uh, cool stuff. Uh, but I like to see that NASA is like uh, you know like uh, a while back I heard about how they're defunding the space shuttle, and it seemed like to a lot of people that's all NASA did. So it's kind of nice to hear about some of the other things. Absolutely, and uh, especially that they're getting into uh, like I said the, they have an open source initiative and they're really doing a lot uh, in they many many different. <laughs> <laughs> they need to get better with licensing, but you know they are still the government. Um, Tyler, do you have any thoughts? Uh, fun episode. Uh, great guest. Brendan really knew what he was talking about, so it was great to learn a lot of the insight, especially on the race between uh, the private sector and uh, NASA itself. That's great. You're, I think you're a little too close to the mic. I'm sorry. Um, anyway, uh, there, was one, there was one question that I forgot to ask Brendan, and it's slightly political, but it is very much NASA. And it is the fact that since the first Cold War ended... Um, We've been using a lot of Russian engines to power our rockets. And I watched this documentary on Netflix about that, and it said that, you know, this is one of those things, because we hadn't talked to Russia for a long time, and they were still very much in the space race when we had kind of stopped caring because we beat them, uh, that they uh, and the Kremlin had funded an insane amount of rocket propulsion research and rocket engine development research. And um, the result of that was that they have actually, uh, the Russians had actually created a rocket engine that was much more efficient and much more powerful than anything that we had developed 
domestically, and that was only possible due to the information sharing that happened after the first, I'll say first, Cold War, because as we're on the precipice of the second Cold War... Um, uh, no, what? No, what? Let's not say that. What? Second Cold not War. Second Cold War, okay. Yeah. Well, also, if you follow the news, news, anyway, now that, there, now that there's a Russian conflict... I and and there's this talking to Russia is seen as bad. I asked about this type of relationship that there was a lot of Russian engineers and American engineers that have become quite buddy buddy over the last twenty years, uh, and we, like I said, had launched quite a few rockets with Russian engines. So what did that? What impact does our current conflict with Russia have with that relationship? He said. Um, He's been following the story of Russian, Russian rocket engines for a while. Even before Trump, uh, Senator McCain is trying to end our dependence on them. In fact, he's one of the reasons that the Blue Origin rocket is taking off. It's replacing the RD-180 uh, that ULA, I don't know what that is, uses for national security missions with the BE-4. The politics of engines is pretty fascinating. So, uh, I guess we just have to try to become less dependent on them. That's... Unfortunately, a vague answer, but there's a lot still up in the air. Anyway, get it? Up in the air? Space? Oh, it's funny because it's true. Exactly. Exactly. Um, I wanted to give everybody... Uh, that's, that's all that we've got for NASA, so we can close the book on that. I wanted to give everybody a quick podcast update really quickly. If you go to polarrequest.net slash iTunes, of course, you can subscribe to us in the iTunes store, and you can view our RSS feed, polarrequest.net slash feed. But now, we have a new forwarder. If you go to polarrequest.net slash YouTube, you'll be redirected to our YouTube channel, which has videos of this podcast. It's not a video podcast, so you won't see anything that you can't see or hear with the audio version, except that it just may be more convenient for you to listen to on YouTube uh, versus whatever pod, podcasting client, podcasting client you have. Um, I think we have the last six or seven shows up there, and when I have more spare time, I'll start re-encoding the older ones. But, um, yeah. So give it a look. Give it a listen. And uh, be sure to follow us on Facebook at facebook.com slash pull request. Uh, and that's I didn't get for the podcast update. And this is exactly why many other better produced podcasts have segments. So when you transition between segments, it's not just like you can hear me turning the metaphorical page. Just play the sound effects. What are we? Okay. Um, I mean... Well, I wanted to get quickly talk about, as we've entered a new month, there's a new month full of conferences, mm-hmm. and um, it looks like we've got a few conferences for the month of April, and oh, there's a lot of them, actually. Yeah, spring uh, is the time for tech conferences. <laughs> seems like it. Are you going to any? Uh, so there's a bunch that are up in the air right now. Uh, I was actually, uh, on behalf of uh, my employer... I was going to submit a talk to Strange Loop, but uh, I believe the deadline was this week, so uh, it doesn't look like that's likely at this point. And what was that? Strange Loop, you said? Yeah, it's a pretty uh, substantial conference. Uh, a lot of great speakers there, um, uh, particularly the keynotes. They are often very uh, impactful people of the tech community. Uh, plenty of people who are responsible for creating languages have been the past uh, keynote speakers. Ah, Speaking of creating languages, did you hear that um, 
Unix C is a hoax. You you mean calling it Unix C specifically? No, no, that it's just it's actually just really Pascal, and they never actually wrote C. And that was a funny April Fool's joke from the GNU. I'm not even kidding. I thought you would have seen this yesterday on Hacker on Hacker uh, News. I, I saw a lot it was, of really bad uh, April Fool's Linux jokes that I don't know. None of them were worthy remembering. <laughs> yeah, it seems that geeks are maybe lacking in the sense of humor. Uh, I wouldn't say that sense of humor department. Uh, I don't know because there's only so there's only so much humor that you could wring out of things like Unix may be fake. I don't know. Anyway, um, so let's see. There's a lot of conferences this month. As you said, spring is the time. There's the Open Networking Summit in, uh, Summit in Santa Clara, California, on the 3rd. I guess that's tomorrow? Yeah, I've got coworkers uh, going to that, I believe. Okay. DNS, the industry's premier open networking and orchestration event, gathers enterprise cloud service or cloud and service providers to share insights, highlight innovation, and discuss the future of the community. It sounds like something that you should go to. Why aren't you going? Because uh, I have to code. <laughs> ah, well, then maybe you could go to the next one on the 4th in San Francisco, Programmatic I.O. It's the world's largest conference focusing on programming media and marketing. Or there's the Market Innovation Summit, also in San Francisco the following day, discovering and discussing the latest trends in account-based marketing. Ooh, account-based marketing. I believe that's targeted Wait, that advertising. Under, yeah, I was going to say, how does that fall under tech? I don't know, but there's a lot. We have we have a lot to talk about today, actually, uh, with regards to targeted advertising, or as they say, account-based marketing, or as some other people say, surveillance capitalism. It's a new term that I hadn't heard before, but all pretty much mean the same thing, which is figuring out who you are as a person and then marketing to you and then selling your information. Um, let's see. There's launch, more San Francisco. Uh, there's a Future Festival Orlando on the 6th. Um, let's see. I don't know. It's a bunch of bunch of conferences. Um, Data Visualization Summit on the 19th with 25-plus industry speakers and 150-plus delegates. Data Visualization. It'd be cool if they actually had some kind of infographic about who's coming. Um, let's see. Uh, the Virtual Reality Show in London, England, not London, Kentucky. Uh, <laughs> join... Join 10,000 other attendees for the opportunity to try out VR products, not on iPhones, I'm guessing. Experience interactive show features. So, Meet top brands working in VR today. This sounds pretty, uh, the, the entire list seems kind of consumer uh, focused that you're reading from. Would you say that's accurate? I, uh, I mean, no, I'd say there's a different. I mean, there's a Dig Innovation Conference in Charleston where leading brands bring together the smartest startups with a focus in technology, business, and marketing. That I mean, these, des these descriptions are kind of watered down a little bit, but I'm sure there'll be quite a lot of people talking about Unix utilities and uh, refactoring algorithms. So if you are a geek, you should probably want to attend these, or, or better yet, have your company pay for tickets. What I will say is, uh, I know DockerCon's coming up uh, April 17th to the 20th in Austin, Texas. Oh, that's a, what? Did I just blow through that? Oh, no, that's because they don't have that on this list. Instead, they have the SharePoint Fest DC <laughs> on the 17th. <laughs> and uh, KubeCon happened last week. 
so there's that. Oh, well, the, neither of those, nope, neither of those were on these on these lists. Uh, we've got the Bulgaria Web Summit, uh, <laughs> an annual technology-related uh, conference about the modern web in Bulgaria, where my website is actually hosted. Uh, so maybe I should go. Um, the SharePoint uh, conference in D.C., of course, is... Uh, Oh, it's Fest, I'm sorry. SharePoint Fest DC. Attend technical classes and workshops taught by Microsoft certified trainers, Microsoft engineers, and Microsoft MVPs. Hmm. Ugh. And then a, uh, I should also mention a, a monitoring com- company that uh, I'm familiar with. They have a conference in uh, Las Vegas that is coming up uh, on the 10th to the 13th. Wow. Well... Is there another list that has all the good conferences? Because it looks like this list does not have the... These are just off the top of my head. <laughs> I know, but like, where are you, there's got to be some kind of... I mean, if there's this list, where's the list of, of actually interesting conferences? That's, uh... Yeah. Anyway. Uh, and, uh... I like you're wearing suits, you know that? <laughs> yes, well, I mean, I'm sure people will be wearing suits You said somewhere. conference and marketing and analytics... Yeah. <laughs> yeah, it's almost like we're talking about a multi-billion-dollar industry. Here. And then, uh, not not this month, but uh, next month, uh, the O'Reilly Open Source Conference is coming up. Oh, I got tickets to the O'Reilly Open Source uh, <laughs> Conference. You uh, learn You yeah. giving a talk on rewriting your, your front, front end, end every, every six weeks. <laughs> that's right. <laughs> and that's by the way, uh, the O'Reilly one's also in Austin, Texas. So it's definitely becoming one of the hot places for tech conferences. Well, there, I think it's I think it's just because of South by Southwest, yeah, uh, which... and that's kind of ruined Austin, and so now a bunch of people who think that that place is still cool want to have conferences there. So you would really enjoy well, it's the... in the middle of everything. <laughs> yeah, I've been to Austin once, and I've got a I've got a friend down there who uh, is in the Angular world. Um, oh, and, that poor uh, soul. He likes it more than React, from what I understand. Um, I mean, front-end in general, oh, those poor souls. Yeah, and we make less money, too. So it's, uh, Well, not, um, a, not on average, actually. I, then uh, the, those averages are skewed. Anyway, um, no, Austin's a cool place. I recommend Torchy's Tacos if you uh, want some good tacos. Anyway, point is, uh, what was I? No, actually, we already said the point. Point of this week's episode, how's that, is a lot of information. That's why it's whose internet is it anyway? It's about it's the answer a, it, is Drew Carey. Drew, yes, uh, it, <laughs> yes, uh, or or Clive Anderson, the original host of Whose Line. I don't think anybody anyway, knows who that is. <laughs> no, it was the. I mean, if you know, it was a British show with a like a British guy that looked like Drew Carey, and then they brought it over here and they just used him. Anyway, um, the thing is, is that there's a big story that I'm sure a lot of us, I don't want to say, I don't want to overgeneralize, but a lot of us have heard over the last week, and it was some, a real dick move by Congress as they both voted to sell us out, both the House and the Senate, voted uh, in favor of repealing a bunch of Obama-era FCC regulations. The, and the FCC regulations had, were, were really good with the fight towards what we call net neutrality, uh, as in everybody gets a level playing field. Not, as we've said before, the other net neutrality, which is that the government remains neutral on regulation and lets the five companies that uh, control the Internet, uh, you know, collude and, and make deals with each other, as they already have and will continue to do. Well, um, this, this brings up the question, when is the WikiLeaks going to come out that shows exactly how many, uh, or I should say how much porn... Uh, all the congressmen watch. 
Think I'm gonna swim in. I mean, I'm sure you could find that. I, I'm sure. I'm sure you could find that already. <laughs> Not to mention that whenever you hear about these congressmen that are like really against child pornography, then you find out. Oh wait, they actually we found some child pornography on their computer. I wonder why. Cards Against so. Humanity pledged to uh, buy all the data from all the senators that voted for it, and all the congressmen. They're going to display it to the public. Yeah. Really? Yes. Yep. Interesting. But I don't, I don't know exactly how this is going to work. I don't know if there's going to be a marketplace for data. I mean, there really could be. There almost is now. But um, I don't know if there's going to be, if it's really going to be that simple and that easy to sell subscribers stuff. But. Sounds like it is. Well, only time will tell. Uh, so, uh, Congress consensus congeals to sell your cyber soul. Let's hear it from our news department. Nomania presents News to You. Washington, Tuesday, March 28th. Both houses of Congress have officially conceded their consensus to allow internet service providers to sell private data, such as your internet history, with advertisers and other fiends looking to make a quick buck off of you. Although much of your web surfing habits are already ruthlessly monetized, take notice of the targeted ads in your Facebook newsfeed, suggested items from Amazon, or recommendations from Netflix, all of these services use metrics derived from your traffic already. While simple competition would usually allow for such nefarious behavior to be bred out of the marketplace, colluding oligarchies or legalized monopolies have been known to carve out sections of each region, allowing most parts of the country to only have one ISP to use. The Congressional Joint Resolution only awaits the signature of President Number 45 before going to effect Repealing the rules that had gone into effect, the rules that had just gone into effect this past January. Ugh. It looks like we're about to see another genre of sleazy advertising appear, and many of you will never notice. But what does this mean for computer security going forward? Only time will tell. And that's why this has been news to you. Brought to you by Pneumonia. I unfortunately have a. I've discovered a very interesting. Uh, opinion to take on this whole. This Is it whole about mess. your politics addiction or? Uh, <laughs> yes, it's about my addiction to politics. Um, no, it's uh, it's really more about how a lot of people when they talk about uh, what Congress has done pretend like we live in a world where everything that you do online hasn't been, like I said in the, in the news piece, ruthlessly monetized anyway, and. Whenever you go on Facebook, whenever you go on any internet service, your traffic, every behavior, every mouse click, every scroll, even hover, even mouse moves, all of that stuff these days is being tracked, it's being analyzed, it's being aggregated, and it's being sold. We live currently in an information economy, and it's very important to remember that when we talk about allowing another level of your data to be monetized, because over the last even five years, we've seen a lot of people's identities get stolen from big service providers, from big data centers, from big companies. I remember Target, I've got, in, like in the last three years, I got different letters saying that my credit card numbers have been compromised. And I got a letter from my college saying my social security number has been compromised because they didn't store their data correctly. Well, so, that's every college in America, but... But the, the point is, is that your data is already out there 
and it's probably already being monetized in a way that's pretty transparent to you right now. Except when you start looking for it, like I said, there's ads in Gmail. Where do, where do those ads come from? Well, they come from the contents of your inbox. Wait, there's, there's ads, ads in, in Google Gmail? Search. Yes. Uh, there's uh, uh, Google Search has ads. Where do those ads come from? Well, they come from your search history, plus what you're looking for right now, plus a variety of other context clues that Google encodes into each query about you and about what you're looking for. Sure. The best example to show how, how this targeted advertising works is if you buy something online, because it has this very simple flaw, which is that it seems to recommend things to you that you just bought. So I just bought a new pop screen for this microphone. Hopefully it works. Uh, now I just see ads for pop screens everywhere. Well, that's well, related sh- products. No, <laughs> for this specific pop screen. Yeah, it's sure. Like, it, it could still be no, from I a get, different seller. No, it's a link. It's a link back to the product page at Amazon. Sure, I'm not but kidding. Amazon has multiple sellers, so that, that's how they justify that. Christian, Christian, perspective. Christian. That you're you're rationalizing poor behavior. You're rationalizing mediocrity. Oh, I'm not rationalizing it yet. But what I will will rationalize now is seeing the fact that the the internet, whether it was intentional or not, was meant to be kind of wild wild west where anything goes. So the idea of taking all this data and using it for marketing, it's just kind of something that any you know, like anything goes. It's they're not breaking any rules. Right. Well, I mean the. Uh... Obama's uh, FCC chairman, the uh, dingo, Tom Wheeler, um, who actually turned out to be a pretty decent guy after getting uh, routinely made fun of by John Oliver, um, <laughs> he, uh, he really, he, he, at, the, at the end of Obama's tenure, in December and January, he actually, they actually passed quite a few rules that really would be good for us online, talking about the different types of information and what is sensitive information, what is not. Your right as a consumer to opt out of, of such information or that the content provider or service must require opt-ins for certain types of information. That was very much outlined, and I have a few bullet points that I want to go over. But all of those are about to be repealed because we've got a new guy in charge and any government regulation is bad uh, in his mind and Congress's mind right now. So that's what they want to do. And they want to, like I said, the, the government's definition currently of net neutrality is, or the Republican definition, I should say, which, you know, hashtag not all Republicans is, is the government remain neutral. Small government remain neutral on the internet. So like you said, Wild West, it's not illegal. Yeah, it's mm-hmm. not illegal for the for them to package up your information and, and sell it. Um, but, but is it ethical? Things like like your, the contents of your emails? Mm, uh, it depends. I'm pretty because sure you bill included that. So well, I mean, that, no, but that's it's always see, been but the you case could that only... with your emails that it's uh, that is an agreement between your service, whoever is providing your email service, and you. That if they do read them, it's disclosed in their uh, service license agreement. Well, if they don't yeah, read them, it's also disclosed. You can't. Well, well the hold on. Office can't sell me Christian's emails or Eric's e- or you know letters. Like I can't just for fifty bucks go buy the letters at. You know, Eric gets in the mail or copies of those. I wouldn't use oh, you a twentieth century letter, but you get data from it. I wouldn't use a twentieth century analogy for this type of thing because you wouldn't necessarily is. could no. But 
you you would you wouldn't necessarily be buying a single letter. You could be buying uh, metadata about the letter. You could be buying uh, trends the from the. You can buy, be buying trends from aggregate letters. There's a bunch of different ways to and package up this data like and sell it. But your internet history, which is gross. I can't. I'm sorry, Tyler. You're gonna have to speak up. I can't. Hear it you. sounds like like I would be able to go buy someone's internet history. Yes, that is exactly the case. Which is, which is gross. Uh, yeah, but what's well, well? Hold on. Hold on. Hold on. Because there's something that Christian you underscored that goes back to my original, my original argument, which was, if the content provider or the service vendor has a line item in the agreement, the service agreement that you sign, saying that we're doing this, and if you don't want us to do it, well then you can f off and go to somebody else, uh, except you know that everybody else does this. Um, well, no. This except, well, hold on. Action. Then why should that be? Illegal. Why should it be illegal? It, ethically, yes, it's abhorrent. I get it. Ethically, it's not. I, I shouldn't be able to go well, buy so Tyler's web history. But should the government really get this, involved here? My entire stance on this is that who cares what these companies do? The internet should be the wild west. If you can't protect yourself from uh, companies doing these things, you might as well have your data be uh, taken. It's uh, you know, like uh, the internet itself was intended for. Uh, intellectuals originally to share documents, I feel that it's just part, inherently part of its design to say, hey, if you can't uh, figure out how to protect yourself, then there are people smarter than you out there who are taking advantage of you. And Yes, but the ways, that the, the ways that some of these companies are taking advantage of people are really not that great, because like, the, like Verizon was known to embed uh, Super Cookie in their cell phones. So that mm -hmm. would go. That would be able to buy. That would be the. Uh, that would act as a beacon when they were traveling through encrypted tunnels. Um, Nokia. Um, Nokia had a, a had an added root SSL certificate that proxied all of your SSL traffic through Nokia's servers and then decrypted it. Mm -hmm. And they said that was under the guise of proxying to make everything bet faster. But they do also have then the ability of analyzing your traffic and then selling stuff to you based on it. Sure. So, and, and Rick, what about? Uh, to, to answer your question of should the government step in, what about the question of this This might get involved with government itself? Uh, think about the, the data that got sold to uh, Cambridge Analytics, which supposedly helped Trump win the election a lot by super accurate uh, targeting just by knowing what people are like just based on what they like. Absolutely. What's wrong with that? But that's marketing. Well, yeah. And uh, that same thing with the, like what you're saying with the phones, like, this is all up to the per person who they're taking the data from to protect themselves against it. If you're but not how do you protect yourself, yourself on a closed system from a root SSL injection? You don't buy without that jailbreaking phone. it. <laughs> you don't buy the, that the people. The people who understand what that is are probably not buying a Nokia phone anyway. Yeah, so they're the ones who are protected. The people who don't understand what it is, they survive of the fittest in a sense. That they are the ones being taken advantage of, and rightfully so, for not being educated. But well, what do you matter. do? Fair point. Fair point. So this also really goes that meshes well with my 21st century is the active century. If there's anything that you want to do, you really need to take charge and do it yourself, which includes things like your privacy. I know one congressman said, uh, you know, if someone uh, I, I bought underwear online yesterday, why should the government know what size I wear? Well, I don't know. I bought underwear online yesterday. Well, that, that, that if you really know what size I wear... <laughs> 
You can I just know. eyeball somebody. No, but the, I mean the thing is, is that you, the second, <laughs> yeah. no, you know, the second question is it's not that that was embarrassing. It was the fact that he bought it from VictoriaSecret.com. That's what he doesn't want people to find out. And then and, they put the two and two together with their graph database to say, wait, this guy doesn't have a wife or a daughter. Or even, well, if it was a daughter, that'd be really creepy. But uh, exactly. And then they run and then they add that to the campaign against them, and they say, we found this guy is surfing on Victoria's Secret, and he doesn't even have a woman in his life. What could he be? doing is he the type of senator or congressman that you want running your district probably not well you'd but, rather uh, use this person who doesn't know what a computer is so we can't track him and find the wor crappy things that he does this like, is also <laughs> my point that basically making a business off of this is just leading the opening the door to nefarious business well tyler the whole internet economy is built off of this and it has been for about 10 years but the bottom is about to fall but out not limits. because of this there's Sorry? Not, there's limits. So what limits? There should be there needs to be limits like this. What what like, type of okay, what type of limit would you want to have on this? And how does that not count as the government inhibiting speech, which is illegal? Uh that's a big question. Unfortunately, the Republican in me goes, I don't think that the government should really weigh in too much about this, but it is up to every single person on the internet to take your privacy as, as, and, and hold it as, as best as you can. And any shrivels shred of privacy that you have the chance of protecting as we lead increasingly public lives now, really, you, you should. In any way that you have of protecting your internet traffic, whether it's just surfing through SSL. I mean, I mean, think about it. If I uh, go to Amazon via SSL and I submit a form via SSL, they don't necessarily know what everything that I'm doing. Or I should say, I'm sorry, not they. My bad. Uh, Optimum, Cablevision, doesn't necessarily know everything that I'm doing <laughs> if my traffic is encrypted via SSL. Now, SSL is not a VPN. And virtual private networks. Well, a VPN won't protect you all the time. Exactly. But before we get into that, I just really quickly, because uh, we we kind of mowed past this, I wanted to um, just glance at the Obama-era FCC rules um, that were put into place in, in December. Uh, and I, they take up a lot of space in the show notes, but it's not. I'm not going to read it all verba ver ah, verbatim. Um... The rules require ca uh, carriers to provide privacy notices that clearly and accurately inform customers, obtain opt-in or opt-out customer approval to use and share sensitive or non-sensitive customer proprietary information, respect respectively. Um, let's see. The uh, We find that sensitive consumer PI, personal information, oh, proprietary information, sorry, includes, and then they go to define it, financial information, health information, social security numbers, precise geolocation information, browsing web browsing history, application usage, hi usage history, and the functional equivalence of web browsing history or application usage history. With respect to voice services, we also find that call detail information is sensitive information. Now, the question that I have about this is you're repealing this rule, but this rule includes definitions. Do those definitions of what is sensitive data, do those also get repealed? Uh, that is a legal question that I don't think any of us can really answer. But uh... yeah, so that says we we are non we are non lawyer spokespeople uh, and do not take explicit legal advice from us because that would be a bad idea. But you know, as techno experts, um, I don't know. 
Because, I mean, are you to say, like, we were repealing this, does that mean that social security numbers now aren't sensitive information? They're not subject to PCI compliance or other things that had been in place before? I don't it know. It'd be a lot more than PCI if you're taking social security numbers. That's true. Um, opt-in approval. We adopt rules ca uh, requiring carriers to obtain customers' opt-in approval for use and sharing of sensitive consumer PI. Again, that's proprietary information. And material retroactive changes to carriers' privacy policies. A familiar example of opt-in practices appears when a mobile application asks for permission to use your geolocation lo location information. Uh, Opt-out approval. Balancing important governmental interests in protecting consumer privacy and the potential benefits that may result from the use of non-sensitive uh, non customer PI, we adopt rules requiring carriers to obtain customers' opt-out approval for the for the use and, and sharing of non-sensitive consumer PI. Congressionally recognized exceptions to blah, 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 blah. Um, basically, these rules required that you had the ability to uh, either opt in or opt out of services that used your personal information. I'm sure that is part of the job business hurting regulation that is really killing the internet economy right now. It, it, it totally is not the fact that digital advertising really is not a good monetization strategy, even though it's become the bedrock for everything online. It's not that. It's the regulation that requires that we can't sell everything that you do to anyone that we want. Which, like I said, if that was given to you in your Bible of a service agreement that you have to sign in order to access these services, then I don't really have too much sympathy for you because you kind of agreed to do it anyway. Now, the ethical problem comes into play when there's only one company in your area that provides the type of service, and one of the, uh, one of the, one of the uh, stages, or what I should say the place we find ourselves in in this stage of capitalism is that there's only a few internet service providers around, and so they have colluded in markets. Um, luckily, a lot of places in New York, you have, you have a choice. I'm, right now, I'm stuck with, uh, with Cablevision, uh, and if Cablevision decided to sell my information, and they just said, uh, we're doing it, mm -hmm. screw you, there's nothing I can well, really do about it, areas, other than... Urban areas try are also to... weird with lock-in, though. Uh, I'm sorry? Urban areas are a little weird with lock-in, because you That's have the true, whole... But... You have to get the... My, your provider might be in the area, like in a suburb, as long as they're in the area, you're good, but with urban areas, you have to get it going to the building in order to be able to get that carrier. That's true, but even but even still, there are like I said, I I have a few friends in, in the city that have a nice choice. I don't right now. I don't I don't think you do. No, you do. You have a choice between Time Warner and FiOS, don't you? Or did they me? You, did, yeah, uh, nobody got, chooses uh, Time Warner. I've got a trifecta, uh, but I'm stuck with Time Warner because of my building. I thought you got. I thought you switched to FiOS because that was no, why they I, uh, I dropped you. cable altogether, but um. Well, FiOS isn't cable. No, I know it's internet. Well, actually, no, that's not it's true. It's fiber it is, optic. It's no, anyway. TV. But uh, so I dropped the t television portion, and I only use the internet now, which is a lot cheaper. But uh, my building is only Time Warner at the moment. I can get FiOS or RCN. Uh, I think also we also offer RCN, the building, I should say. But um, yeah, I don't have FiOS going to my building specifically. Uh, that, that and by the way, of. ah, and Tyler, are you only on? You only have one ISP. Well, yeah, you could time Warner. Wow. So I'm the lucky person. Well, that's, no, I'm judging by how no, my apartment looks you've right got, now. Uh, the, I'm not lucky. Uh, but I managed, to, not, I managed to escape the grips of Time Warner with my cable vision optimum internet service, which... Yeah, now you I, got a different I, polished turd. 
You know what? I have to reset my router like every two and a half days. It's that, probably that not. That is a Cablevision thing. Every Cablevision <laughs> user I know. I don't even have a. I don't even have a Cablevision router. I have my own router, but for some reason I have to restart it every couple of days. I don't know what the hell's going on. Mine's about maybe every five months. Maybe I have to recycle it. That's it. Right. What? What is the? What? 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 What is that? I also run OpenWRT on my router now. I don't run the OEM. Oh, that's. I should. I should use that. I, yeah. Um, speaking of Verizon, did you know that um, we had a we had an article a couple of weeks ago about how uh, New York Attorney General Eric Schneiderman was um, trying to sue a bunch of ISPs that didn't upgrade their infrastructure to allow customers to receive the speeds that they were being advertised. Well, well, digging deeper into that. I found out that Verizon actually had an agreement with New York City to wire the whole of the city. This is a ridiculous agreement. Wire the whole of the city with Fios. That's all of us. That's you and me, who right now definitely don't have it, by 2014. <laughs> what year is it? <laughs> 2017, my good man. I, Tyler, we could have had Fios for three years now. It would have been great. And because de Blasio's running for re-election, he's, he's decided to champion this cause. Did he do it in 2015 or 2016? No. But because he's got an election coming up, of course, this is a big priority for him. Uh, so this, this is a story from uh, a couple weeks ago from also not that reputable of a news source, but still is true. This is from the New York Post. Uh... The city's, not capital C, sued Verizon today for, quote, breaking the trust to millions of New Yorkers by failing to bring its Fios cable and internet service into every household in the city, the mayor said Monday, which was like three Mondays ago. The lawsuit, filed by the administration and Manhattan Supreme Court, claims the TV, phone, and internet giant reneged on a 12-year agreement signed in 2008 to make its fiber optic cable network available to everyone by 2014. I can't believe... Verizon did this. Did they think that Manhattan was going to sink by that time? Like, what kind of drugs are they on? <laughs> well, uh, maybe another three years it might sink. Did, did uh... AT&T even wire Manhattan in, 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 12, in four years? Like, you know, 100 years ago when telephones came out? Did that, like... Jesus. I don't think they could have... Verizon promised that... Everyone at Verizon, the whole company. What was that, Tyler? I don't think they could have accomplished that if they used their entire company... To try that. No, and they're still working on that giant Death Star of a building on uh, First Avenue that <laughs> I think is... It's a brand new building that's going to look 20 years old, but that's another story. Uh, what is it? Uh, yeah, last year, a, blush, a blistering audit by the city's Department of Information Technology. Hey, that's a job prospect. Uh, logged a series of complaints against Verizon, including that a quarter of the blocks in the city had no buildings that were properly wired for Fios. Uh... Now, hold on, there's got a... Uh, here we go. Here's, a res here's Verizon's response. The de Blasio administration is disingenuously, disingenuously attempting to rewrite the terms of an agreement made with its predecessor and is acting in its own political self-interest that we are completely at odds with what's best for New Yorkers. We plan to vigorously fight the city's allegations. That was confusing. So, it is confusing. Well, so, uh, the thing is, is that... Verizon also is talking about not renewing their uh, franchise agreement with the city, meaning that people that people who have FiOS might not be able to continue to have it. I don't know what, what that is, but again, it's 
Bloomberg and Verizon made a deal saying to wire the whole, all of the five boroughs. That's what this sounds like. I mean, have they even started on Staten Island? Jesus. <laughs> I mean, do uh, they need to? Do they have internet there? I don't know. They don't deserve it. <laughs> <laughs> but they said the whole city. That's the whole city. So they got that. And, like, I can't believe that that actually happened. Verizon, uh, for, like, Verizon, the company that was originally the original phone company, and uh, Michael Bloomberg, who is a very smart person, like they didn't realistically they realistically thought this was going to happen what it took them a hundred years to open up three stops on a subway okay. I don't know. a hell of a drug seriously anyway what did Rick James broker that deal <laughs> <laughs> um so back to back to uh your internet service and and actually speaking of, of Fios as I may have mentioned there are in the process of installing Fios into my building here, when I lived in Pittsburgh, by the way, I was also stuck with one internet service provider, and that internet service provider was Comcast. Comcast in my area of Pittsburgh. Comcast uh, is now, I mean, Cablevision is now Comcast, you know. No, it's not. Yeah, it is. No, it's not. Yeah, it is. Comcast bought Optimum? Yes. What? Yes. When? Recently. Like, no. a couple months ago. No. Yes. That's why I have to restart my router more. It might not be true. <laughs> no, that can't. I am almost positive. Optimum Wi-Fi for Xfinity. No, Comcast bought Time Warner. Oh, really? Yes, that's why it's called Spectrum. Uh, wait, are you sure? Yes, I did, and I just searched for Comcast by Optimum. And you can get... Say Cablevision. They're still... Cablevision as a company. I want to... I, I know, but, but the news report would still be the Optimum. Anyway... Um, I want to call them Cablevision because that's such a hilarious, like, early 90s name well, for the connect that's... to the internet with Cablevision. Um, Anyone else anyway. think Spectrum was a terrible name? Yeah. There yeah, but, you know, it's... a company to pick a name that's that close to Rectum. Yeah, but if they're, you know, it's the only cable... <laughs> it's, the, it's the only cable company with customer service on the Spectrum, so it's fine. Um, anyway... Uh, oh, no, uh, Cablevision is uh, owned by Comcast. What? I don't, I'm not seeing that. Altice plans to buy Cablevision for $17.7 billion. That's... That was two years ago. Hmm. Oh, wait, hold on. Well, we really should not be looking this up on the air. No, um, we should not. No, but anyway, uh, one thing that I did want to mention, though, about Comcast, and let me see if I could, uh, now that my the whole thing is out of order... Um, I had a I had a press release from Comcast talking about how they promised to not sell your internet traffic, Tyler. But you have Time Warner, so it doesn't matter. Oh no, wait, no, that was bought by Comcast. Here, so uh, our commitment to consumer privacy. And this is really this is this is written with I I picture cigarette lawyers. Lawyers for the cigarette companies coming out with a press release like this. When was this written? This, this, uh, this past week. Oh. Um, yeah. Uh, yeah, let's do, uh, let's do one of, one of these. There's been a lot of attention and questions about consumer privacy these days. At Comcast, we respect and protect our customers' personal information. Always have, always will. 
We do not sell our broadband customers individual web browsing history. We didn't do it before the FCC's rules were adopted, and we have no plans to do so now. Comcast has committed to privacy principles that are consistent with the Federal Trade Commission's privacy regime, which has applied to all entities in the Internet ecosystem for over 20 years, and which continues to apply to the Internet Edge companies like Google, Facebook, and Amazon. We believe this commitment is legally enforceable in multiple ways, including by state attorneys general. There's been a lot of misleading talk about how congressional action this week, or how, how the congressional action this week to overturn the regulatory overreach of the prior FCC will now permit us to sell sensitive customer data without customers' knowledge or consent. This is just not true. In fact, we've committed to not share our customers' sensitive information, such as banking, children's, and health information, unless we first obtain their affirmative opt-in consent. Our privacy commitments to our customers go even beyond this protection of sensitive information that has dominated the dialogue this week. If a customer does not want to use us or want us to use other non-sensitive data to send them targeted ads, we offer them the ability to opt out of receiving such ads. We also continue to comply with the various federal laws protecting privacy, such as the Communications Act, the Children's Online Privacy Protection Act, and the Electronic Communications Privacy Act, as well as dozens of state privacy and data security laws. In view of all of the information and inaccurate statements that have been made in the last week, we want to make sure that none of our customers understand, sorry, we want to make sure that all of our customers understand how strong our privacy protections really are. So we'll revise our privacy policy to make more clear and prominent that, contrary to many inaccurate statements and reports, we do not sell our customers individual web browsing information to third parties, and that we do not share, share sensitive information unless our customers have affirmatively opted in to allow that to occur. The bottom line? Comcast values our customers' trust and will continue to protect the privacy and security of their personal information. I don't buy it. <laughs> cigarettes. Yeah, you know what? Uh, if, if, the, uh, if, if Philip Morris, uh, if cigarettes were so bad for you, why would the cigarette companies want to kill off their customers? You know what didn't kill her? Smoking. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> that had the Smoke. tone of like a creepy guy in a van offered a child candy. Like I'm telling you, it's, it really it really sounds like those lawyers that litigate for cigarette companies. <laughs> Due to all the misinformation about how smoking may kill you, we in fact say that even though we're not scientists or doctors, it doesn't. Um... <laughs> Anyway, now, and you know, uh, since that lawsuit's been settled, those guys still need jobs, so now they're rolling into this. Uh, and yes, Comcast, now, like we said, Comcast won't sell your stuff unless you opt in, but what they didn't say in this spiel is that you may have to opt into that to use their service full stop. So, because you know, when the cable guy person comes to your apartment or home, uh, they give you something to sign. Well, that could that could be in there, and if you say, "Well, I'm not signing it," then he can go, well, "You know, I'm not, I'm not, I'm not hooking you up." So, there's enough wiggle room in this, but I would, I would still take a moment, if you have, to call your internet service provider and ask them to not sell your information. They may tell you to f off, in which case you probably should, because there's nothing you can do, and you probably won't notice if your stuff is being sold anyway. That's the real truth, because you don't notice that your stuff is being sold. I didn't really notice that my social security number was stolen, except for now that I own four houses in Florida. But <laughs> that's another story. Yeah. Um, 
Did you know that you don't need a photo ID to buy a house in Florida? No, that's not true. Uh, uh, for Florida, I believe it. I know. That's why I uh, don't want to go back there. Anyway, um, <laughs> let's see. So that was, that was Comcast. Now, a great solution, a way of masking your internet traffic so prying eyes can't see it, is by using a virtual private network, a VPN. Hmm. But... This Wired article says that VPNs won't save you from Congress's internet privacy giveaway. Of course, they have to write it with a very sensationalized uh, lead, which is, get ready to say goodbye to your internet privacy. Not like you ever really had it anyway. Um, I hate, I hate Goodbye. You know, a lot of people who say privacy is dead, it's not dead in, unless, just like how Bernie wasn't electable. He wasn't electable until everybody didn't vote for him. If everybody who said he was unelectable voted for him, he'd be president right now. Much like internet privacy, uh, if everybody keeps saying it's dead, then you really, it will be dead. But if everybody said, oh, we really have to hold on to internet privacy to prevent it from dying, then the, it would slow the decline of this type of stuff. Anyway. This goes back to punk rock. Punk rock was dead, punk rock was alive, and all that. Disco. Disco. Disco hasn't died yet. Oh no, Disco dead. Disco is not dead! Disco is life! Anyway. This, that, uh, that'd make your haircut make so much more sense, Eric. <laughs> you can't be the I move my mom, I'm a woman. Anyway. Uh, the most basic thing that you can do if, if and when your service provider tries to collect and sell your data is to switch to another one, assuming that you can find one that won't turn around and do the same. You might have a better chance in a wireless market, except for the fact that I actually had to... AT&T did this stuff a long time ago. And even oh, very yeah, firmly in the Obama years. The cable yeah. companies with this. Phone companies will do everything that they can. And I do, and I do quite a bit of work for a phone company. Um, they, uh, phone companies will take any sort of technological advantage that they can to try to track you and monetize your usage. Like I said, Verizon Wireless had that super cookie that they put on all the phones. Uh, AT&T yeah, had this type of... A uh, consumer, it was like called CPNI or something like that. Some kind of consu- like your personal information. AT and T was gonna sell unless you called them and opted out, which I did. And this was a, f- a couple years ago. And then they asked me why, and I go, and I go, do you know what this is? And they go, yes. I'm like, do you, would you like your data to be sold? And they say, no. That's why I'm opting out. So, <laughs> anyway, try that first. And they will probably ask you why, because maybe it's a field that they... Congress have had to do that before they voted on this thing. Yeah, exactly. No, but the thing is, is in my whole contention with an impossible uh, evil thought with what the government, uh, with Congress has done, is that a lot of this stuff, like I said, has already been going on in a a different way. And what FCC Chairman Ajlit Pai talked about was how there's a disparity of regulations between... ISPs and phone companies, and a lot of phone companies are ISPs now, and vice versa. So he want, part of the reason, and this is you know maybe a BS argument, but part of the reason why he's saying this is to have more of an ideological consistency in the regulations that the government puts out. Is that true? Who knows? But try to call your ISP or mobile service provider to opt out of their tracking, and if they ask why, you can tell them this. Which is that, would you want your data to be tracked? Anyway, um, if you can't, uh, then you're screwed. Then use a VPN. Many security researchers recommend that if that you, the, 
to use what's called a virtual private network, or VPN. I already said that. Thanks, Wired. Uh, in effect, VPNs route all your traffic through their service. Now, it's interesting because I do you do all VPNs by nature route all of your traffic through them? Because if I log on to a VPN and I have so one, wait, wait, hold on. If I log on, wait, wait. Let me, let me just finish this question. If I log on to a VPN and I have one, and I go to one of those sites that tells me what my public IP is, it doesn't always change. It, it'll mm -hmm. still say my Cablevision IP. And I feel like if only, maybe it's only rerouting the external traffic in the network that I like, you know, the non-routable ah, non IP addresses that obviously aren't in my network, then it might be like, oh, okay, that should go through the VPN. I don't know. But I don't know if the default so, behavior is to route all your traffic through. So uh, a big part of it is it depends on the VPN. It also depends on uh, for VPN this... client, I assume. Uh, VPN. Both, right? Just, like just the VPN. type of VPN and, and the client that you use. Just VPN. Anyway, okay. uh, uh, also part of it is for this specific use case, uh, who are you trying to uh, obfuscate your... Ob obfuscate. Obfuscate your data from. If it's your ISP, it's a good bit more difficult. They could be collecting it in the modem at the hardware level if they really wanted to. But is your and, uh, if you do the, a VPN, you're running a client typically on your computer, and yes, so the traffic from your computer to the but, modem would then be encrypted. Yes, but yes, yeah, but it also depends on the VPN. Some of them, it's the like there's the more publicly used VPNs that you think are you're using a VPN. If you just go in the browser and say, "Let me log into this VPN." It's actually only doing more of like a Tor proxy from. Yeah, it's more of a go. proxy than a real VPN, and in yeah, fact, and, and not even like this article. One, this uh, article but, recommends against using those, but we'll get back yes. to that. And then there's like actual VPNs, like OpenVPN, where then your your traffic is encrypted. Uh, just make sure you keep your OpenVPN up to date. Now, are VPNs an SDN technically a software-defined network? Uh. So, sorta, they uh, are, from a fundamental standpoint, from a use case and implementation standpoint, they're a bit different. And SDN is more so to have a virtual network that, uh, uh, so a coworker of mine wrote the one that we use and that one is encrypted. Uh, but then uh, we, uh, you can use something like uh, Coros's Flannel as an SDN, where that's just all of a sudden uh, doing a natting of all of your uh, processes. And um, so there's that, and you can also just build one through IP tables using netting. And uh, but then there's the uh, like a VPN itself is it's more user space. It's uh, not really used to create a full network so much as just to have a bunch of things outside of the actual network be able to access your actual network. Say if you have a bunch of servers somewhere. Gotcha. Um, but while v VPNs are an extremely important privacy tool, they have limitations. The most obvious, you need to trust your VPN provider to not track you and sell your data itself, which is also perfectly possible. Because even though your traffic is encrypted to the VPN, there is still an endpoint where the traffic has to exit your protected network and enter the real internet. And that could be in a, the middle of a data center if you're using you know, a certain type of VPN, or it could be somebody's home computer in another country if you're using Tor. So it's very, and, and there are malicious Tor exit nodes, and there are uh, VPN NSA services that will monetize nodes. your data. Sorry? NSA-owned nodes. Yes, well. and, and NSA-owned compromised uh, Tor exit nodes. So 
Uh, really, just don't... Don't look at child porn. Um... While using a VPN, you may find it you may find that you can't connect to all the sites and services you're used to using. Netflix, for example, tries to block all VPNs, which I feel like that's impossible, is it? Uh if it's just all public VPNs, that's doable. Uh it says all VPNs. I mean it could also be that hey, uh you're uh, sorry, uh, ignore the hey. Uh, if you're dealing with it at a uh, much lower level, uh, and you're actually getting the encrypted IP packets or the Ethernet packets even, then um, you can actually say, these are encrypted, I don't want to bubble these up, let me just drop these. Interesting. But how, uh, I guess you could just get a list of, of VPN IP ranges and then uh, there, There's that, but you can also them. just look at the packet and see if it's encrypted or not. Oh, I see. I mean, it is already you, encrypted because I'm sure that all users have to SSL. unpack the, the uh, packet a good bit to see that they're... Usually the way that these public VPNs work is the, they do a packet encapsulation where they have the encrypted traffic uh, uh, all the way down to like the IP layer, just then bundled in another IP packet. Ah, interesting. Um, anyway, so Netflix and I believe the BBC are trying to crack down on VPN usage because so many Americans love using VPNs to watch the BBC iPlayer, which you have to pay the television tax in England, or I guess that's some, anywhere in the UK, uh, to view the BBC. So, um, let's see, other sites may po block particular VPN providers used by malicious hackers or criminals to cover their tracks. Uh, blah, 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 blah. Uh, uh, your company may block you from using VPN, which is true, actually, as somebody who is, uh, using a bunch of heavily restricted airplane Wi-Fi recently, they, uh, you can't use anything other than HTTP traffic on this, uh, or, or SSL. Um, so you can't even use I FTP, you can't SSH use VPN. Uh, the... if, you bought, if you bought the uh, Pro Wi-Fi, then yes. But what I'm saying is, on a technological level, routers can be configured. Home routers, even, can be configured to prevent that type of connection from occurring. And I would honestly bet that at the ISP level, there's got to be a way to prevent that from happening yes. on the, in the grand scheme. So, you, so there's going to be... It's got to happen in the next couple of years that these internet services do some kind of a value add where they say we're not letting you use VPN because you may do illegal things like look at child porn or just, you know, want to use encryption. Well, uh, so VPN is a much wait, 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 one. And they might make you pay more for that type of privilege and they may actually be able to block you from using it. And that is some pretty scary, yeah, totally plausible stuff. Uh, I wouldn't say it's plausible. Uh, at least VPN. Why? It's, it's a much tougher one to detect the protocol How itself. How is it? Isn't you're it not a certain... over, You're not coming over a, a specific port. You're dealing with things at the IP layer. Uh, so it's much tougher to be able to do this. You can do it. It's, it is plausible in the sense that, hey, this is something that the ISPs could do. But the performance hit that those would take, unless you're paying for like the absolute bare minimum package, it would really just not... I don't think people would buy into it. Well, the performance the hit is... It, like, the, the performance to actually say, uh, let me unpack this packet to see, uh, is it actually being encrypted at a higher level? Well, the is there an encrypted IP packet encapsulated in another IP packet here? Uh, but if it's just saying, I want to block traffic of this protocol, it works for the transport layers and up pretty well. It's much harder to say at the IP level, can I detect uh, the, a protocol which VPN is an IP deals with things at the IP level, at least a good one. Uh, the, but the, the ones that are, um, like most SDNs, VPNs, they all, uh, the way they do it is actually take in user space a, a UDP packet that they then place the IP packet into. 
uh, and then send that over. Uh, so they could say, I just want to disable UDP traffic, and then you could just implement a VPN over TCP that's a lot slower but doable. What is a typical performance hit from a VPN, from a, like an average user would experience? 20%? Uh, 50%? Not even. Uh, it's very negligible. Negligible, really? Yes. Okay. Well, that's well, good. D- depending on the distance of the VPN, I should sure. mention. If it's like a... And the amount know, of hops. If, if you're like, going to a right. data center, some like for any of us to go to a data center, it's over by uh, LaGuardia or somewhere in New Jersey. That's nothing. Does it have to pay a toll to get to the data center? In... Huh. <laughs> well, only on the way back, because there's no tolls to get to New Jersey. But anyway. Um, yeah, okay. Uh, right, but, it, you know, and much like Tour, Tor, when you have a certain number of hops that you have to take, it really does, each hop does really slow down the traffic. So, um, but when I was talking about the ISPs preventing VPN access, I was talking about it from the infrastructure level. So, at the, like, with the high-end enterprise infrastructure level equipment, you're telling me that it would actually be a real task for them to detect if uh, their subscribers were using a VPN? Yes. Well, that's good for now, in, until we hear, hit that like quantum leap in the next 18 months that makes that really simple. Um, so, unless, right? That's all that we're, that's really se- separating us from doing that, is, well, is some not, kind of solution simple. to a math it's not, problem. It's not the, making it simple, so it's not like you can solve this with a math problem. It's just the fact that uh, uh, unpacking packets are, well, there's an absolute time to it, but uh, relatively speaking, you know, you got hardware that uh, is also involved that can totally change this. But from a a mathematical standpoint or the algorithm, in order to unpack these packets and see their payload within each one, there is a certain amount of time that it takes that it's just going to always take. Gotcha. Gotcha. Well, um... I did want to talk about really quickly some nefarious um, nefarious service provider behavior, as we kind of mentioned before. In 2011, security researcher Trevor Eckhart discovered that AT&T, Sprint, and T-Mobile all sold smartphones with pre-installed tracking software called Carrier IQ. Carrier IQ could track everything from the website's customers visited to Google search terms, ostensibly for troubleshooting purchases, not advertising. An FCC investigation later caught Verizon secretly bundling phones with its own tracking files, known colloquially, uh, lo- known colloquially as zombie cookies. The carriers eventually killed off these programs. Um, then there's the story from 2013 about how Nokia was uh, performing man-in-the-middle attacks because they... Like we said before, they uh, shipped all of their devices with a new root certificate, and that allows them... Does that send all SSL traffic to them? Is that what that does? No. Uh, it allows them to decrypt all SSL traffic. Uh, how does, it, how does the traffic get to them, though? Uh, and it's not SSL traffic. It is encrypted traffic. It's a matter of the fact that you're doing uh, SSL. Oh, it's the browser. CLS That's what it is. A protocol. It's no, the fact. No, no, no. It's not the well, browser. They... It's the fact that uh, no matter what traffic they're doing to the phone, if it is encrypted, the uh, the if you have the root uh, key is always going to be this key that Nokia knows about. Nokia then can always decrypt your traffic. But how does the traffic get sent to them? That was my point. And the way that it is, it can be, is well, via the it, browser. No. Well, that's uh, that's what happens. I'm really okay. looking at the article. Okay, they, they they can do it that way, uh, but that's not specifically the only way. It could be that just matter if they decrypt it on the phone and send it uh, through something, they can decrypt it at the bent, at the browser point and send it through. Uh huh. 
And uh, where else do they does Nokia get the traffic? Well, that's where they would collect the traffic, most likely, is uh, somebody going through their browser and using it. But these days, you also have a bunch of apps that all use, uh, let's say, every, every app uses HTTP, at least, and HTTPS, uh, if you're splitting hairs. And then there's plenty of other ways that you can be doing it, uh, particularly uh, some of these more um, IoT protocols these days. Uh, a lot of them are at least hopefully using TLS, particularly if they're over Bluetooth. But... If you're using TLS and you have the root CA or root uh, key or certificate, whichever, uh, then it's you just can decrypt it, so it doesn't really make a difference. Gotcha. Well, in this case, it was just Nokia's Express starts with the letter X, press, browser. Uh, they did it because they figured that proxying your data through their servers between your your phone and their servers and their servers to the endpoint, which is what the site you wanted to access, uh, would somehow be faster because it can like recompress images and mobile optimize content better. So, so here's what they said. Wait, wait, hold true. on. Hold on. Let's. Nokia's Nokay. That's trying to be funny, has confirmed reports that its Express browser decrypts data that flows through HTTPS connections. Inclu that includes a connection set up from banking sessions, encrypted email, and more. However, it insists that there's no need for users to panic because it would never access customers' encrypted data. This confirmation-slash-denial comes after security researcher Gwareng Pan Pandya, who works for Unisys Global Services in India, detailed on his personal blog how web browser traffic from his Series 40 Asha phone, Asha, was getting routed to via Nokia's servers. So far, so Opera Mini. Uh, after all, the whole point of using a proxy browser such as this is to compress traffic so you can save on data and thereby cash. This is particularly handy for those on constricted data plans or pay-by-use data, uh, as those using the low-end Series 40 handsets on which the browser is installed by default. Uh, however, it was uh, Pandia's second post on the subject that caused some alarm. Unlike the first, which looked at general traffic, the Wednesday Post specifically examined Nokia's treatment of HTTPS traffic. It found that such traffic was indeed also getting routed via Nokia's servers. Crucially, Pandia said that Nokia had access to its data in the, uh, sorry, access to this data in unencrypted form. From the tests that were, quote, from the tests that were performed, it is evident that Nokia's performing man-in-the-middle attacks for sensitive HTTPS traffic originated from the phone, and hence they do have access to clear text information, which could include user credentials to various sites, etc., etc. However, Nokia comes back saying that even though it does this, we're not really looking at it, and you can trust us, right? Uh, quote, importantly, the proxy servers do not store the content of web pages visited by our users or any information they enter into them. The company said, when temporary decryption of HTTPS traffic is required on our proxy server servers to transform and deliver users' content, it is done in a secure manner. How? Whatever. It's, it's Nokia not. Has, <laughs> it's not, right. Nokia has implemented appropriate organizational and technical measures to pr prevent access to private information, their lawyers say. Claims that we would access complete unencrypted information are inaccurate. Uh-huh. Sure. You can see me giving them the AOK symbol through the microphone. Um, yeah. So, don't, I, I mean, nothing is sacred anymore. 
uh, we talked, we did two episodes on the dark web. Over a hundred snooping tour nodes have been spying on dark web sites. Researchers have uncovered malicious hidden service directories that that again uncover meant to be secret dark web sites. Uh, malicious exit nodes. Basically, that's it. Um, when set up properly, these directories don't record or log the addresses of the services themselves, allowing the dark websites to hopefully remain undiscovered. But sometimes people deliberately modify their directories to keep a record of all the sites it spots. So it uses this thing called an HD, an HSDIR, or a hidden service directory, I think? Uh, mm -hmm. Yes, hidden service directory. The relays of the network that allow people to visit dark websites, which I, I guess are just like a collection of those really long domain names that are dark web domain names. Um, and then those directories propagate across the dark web, and that's how that works, I guess? Um, I never really got how the dark web uses DNS still. I think that's, I think that's what this is. Uh, typically, well, a Tor user yes reaches out... more. Right. Well, they yeah. Um, at the time of the writing, there were over 3,000 <laughs> nodes with this HSDIR flag, according to figures from the Tor project. Uh, when set up properly, these directories, like I said, don't record or log the addresses of the services allowing the sites to remain undiscovered, but you can modify this, because since it's all open source, to record the sites that it spots. By setting up honeypots in the Tor network, Guevara Nubir, professor from the College of Computer and Information Science at Northeastern University, and Amirali Sa Sanat... Tinia, a PhD candidate from Northeastern, also, discovered an, uh, an armada of Tor hidden website directories that are spying on dark web sites. These modified nodes allow whomever, whoever is behind them, perhaps law enforcement, hackers, or other researchers, to find the addresses of sites that are supposed to be secret. This really sounds like a security through obscurity thing. That's yeah. not good. Yep. Yeah. That's like a we... hip-hop song. <laughs> yeah, well, that's... Uh... I, I guess that's, uh... Tor's not as secure as you thought. Um... Proxy servers aren't safe. We just talked about that. Uh... Use a tool called Proxy Checker. At proxycheck. Hascheck. That's H-A-S-C-H-E-K dot A-T. I don't know what A-T is, but... Um... It performs a cursory evaluation on any proxy service to ensure it isn't manipulating content or, for or forcing users to forego encryption. Um, oh, yeah, I remember some of the earlier proxies that would uh, redirect you to ads if you used them. That's really funny. When I was in high school, I ran a proxy server on my website to get around the district firewall. See, I, I just would run a local proxy that would then let me get around to, uh, or, like, a year one YouTube. Year one YouTube. As in the year YouTube came out, YouTube. Oh, oh, gotcha. The before owned by Google YouTube. How did you? But the proc. Oh right. Never mind. Um. So we we're talking about basically the best way to get around what's happening on the internet and Congress's new regulation or repealing of a regulation is to use the glorious feature of math known as encryption. And I really try to keep it close to math because. It is, encryption is fundamentally mathematics, and when trying to legislate against it, you run into this problem of you can't legislate against math. It's impossible, uh, because 
it once it started existing, it, you can't make it not exist anymore, and you can't really police everyone who uses it. Can you monitor everyone who uses calculus? No, <laughs> it's impossible. Well, so if much, you, if you see somebody using calculus, you kind of know that they're who's not the taking AP classes. Uh, that pencil ruler down. But <laughs> the thing is, yeah, uh, nerd. Hey, by the way, I got a five on my AP Calc exam. But anyway, um, the thing is, thanks. Tenth uh, grade too. I forgot like most of that stuff. It's really sad. But um, yeah, and I took Calc B. I took Calc two and three in eleventh grade. And uh, oh my god, I took pre Calc and it was the hardest class ever. And I didn't understand it because it was stupid. We had to do all the work longhand. And then when I took calculus five years later and learned the derivative, I got so mad because it was easy and fun. I got so mad because it was easy and fun, bro. Why would we do this in the first place? You know what? I, I don't need to be patronized, okay? <laughs> I've talked to many teachers. They all agree with me. They're like, yeah, bro, we totally should have done this in the first place. Oh, uh, anyway. <laughs> I wanted to talk about uh, encryption. and Oh, so we're leading... The, so let me take a giant step back. So, encryption is really the best way of getting around who's snooping on you online. But... The government, in their zeal for repealing regulations, also would love to outlaw encryption. And it's not just our government. A lot of Western governments are trying to outlaw encryption because terrorists and drug dealers can use encryption, and even with a court order, like that's some piece of magic, uh, people can't get crack the safe. Why? Because it's math. And that's it. And when encryption is done properly, and you have, and it's public key encryption, or cryptography, you have a private key and a public key, and if you lose the private key, you're screwed. And that's it. You can't, there's no other way around it other than a brute force attack, which, if the keys were selected properly, will take until the heat death of the universe. So, it creates a tricky situation for those in law enforcement, because of course they still have to do their job, and they still have to catch these criminals, like the person who stabbed somebody outside of uh, the parliament in UK. Or in London, I should say. And um, in the, the, this guy was on WhatsApp, and you have cops saying, well, if only WhatsApp weren't encrypted, then we could have totally figured this out. Just like the FBI said with the San Bernardino iPhone, where they almost well, made a rule. Well, hold on. They, well, with, uh, with the San Bernardino iPhone, because at least we know the complete end of that story, there was Bopkiss. But the FBI went on this whole encryption tirade. Yeah, I about... ask, do they know for a fact that WhatsApp was used to uh, uh, help orchestrate this? Uh, I believe so. Here's the article, and this is from uh, an actual place that uh, makes news called The Intercept, which is Glenn Greenwald. I like this website and them a lot. Anyway, it goes, The attack outside the L United Kingdom's Parliament in London last Wednesday was over in just 82 seconds, but the backlash from the incident is continuing to develop. On Sunday, a firestorm was triggered when a leading British government minister in a television interview appeared to apportion some of the blame for the incident on WhatsApp, which allows smartphone users to send and receive encrypted text messages that are difficult for police and spy agencies to monitor. At about 1440 hours, that's 2 p.m. to you and I, in London's well, actually I, I have my phone in 24 hour time. Uh, on London's West Westminster Bridge, a 52-year-old Khalid Massoud drove his rented Hyundai Tucson at high speed into a crowd of people, killing three and injuring upwards of 40. He continued towards the nearby parliament, 
where he got out of his car and, wielding two knife, knives, stabbed and killed the policeman. Seconds later, an armed officer on the scene shot Masood two or three times and he fell to the ground, later dying from his injuries. In the aftermath of the incident, it was reported that Masood, a British citizen born with the name Adrian Elms, had used WhatsApp minutes well, prior to launching his rampage. I'd, I'd on Sunday, wait, wait, hold on. On Sunday, the British government's Home Secretary, Amber Rudd, called WhatsApp called what at WhatsApp's encryption, quote, completely unacceptable when asked about Masood's alleged use of the app. Quote, there should be no place for terrorists to hide, she said. We need to make sure that organizations like WhatsApp, and there are plenty of others like that, don't provide a secret place for terrorists to communicate with each other. Rudd's anti-encryption rhetoric was in line with the position that the British government has taken for years. The no communication service should be impossible for the authorities to tap. Former Prime Minister David Cameron, seen crying in his room, no, uh, pushed this policy following the Charlie Hebdo killings in 2015. And one of the core principles behind the sweeping new surveillance law, Momosan, uh, new surveillance law in the UK is that, quote, there must be no guaranteed safe spaces online for terrorist criminals and pedophiles to, quote, communicate beyond the reach of law, but of course safe spaces online for all of the marginalized people of the world. So, first off, this Amber Woman has a porn star name. And, uh, second of all... Is that, does that, does that, is that, uh, transatlantic? I, I, I don't understand. Do British porn stars have, like, similar styles of porn names as American porn stars? I, I believe there's just one porn industry, it's on the internet, it's not localized porn is anywhere as far as I'm aware. <laughs> <laughs> it's right up there with music. Um, alright, so what were you gonna say, Christian? Uh, the second thing I'd say is it's kind of like, uh, well, duh, of course there's encryption on this. It's just a matter of that's the internet. I feel that Well, there's... it's not because the government likes to say, if only this weren't encrypted, we could have figured this out. Which is, no, of course they couldn't have. Maybe with a very small chance and a twist of luck, yes, but I don't think so. Well, uh... This is gonna sound off color, but I feel like when he, when this guy changed his name, that should have been a red flag. Yeah. Yeah. But yeah. You can't say that. Well, we did. <laughs> <laughs> Let's just kind of sit in it for a second. Okay. Um, be on the no fly list over here. We could definitely. He, uh, he'd be on org. Don't go to the website. Actually, go to the web. No, don't go to the website. Uh, <laughs> How do you know about this, Eric? I spavel. I live alone. I, I, yeah, um, anyway. Um, moreover, this is still from the Intercept article. Even if all of Masood's WhatsApp chats were unencrypted, meaning that they could have easily been intercepted by spy agencies and police, it is unlikely that that would have prevented his murderous spree. Of course. Of course. But the government will... All governments... Ours and theirs and everybody's will use these, never let a crisis go to waste. They will use these horrible, despicable events to push forth their agenda, which usually has some kind of surveillance imperialism element in it. And what country w could do surveillance and imperialism better than America? Well, it might be Britain, because they also uh, were the country that had the guy who wrote 1984, George Orwell. Anyway. And uh, um, Mr. Imitation Game. Oh, yeah. Uh, Alan Turing. Yes. Yes. Who cracked uh, Enigma. Oh, yes. 
and then was uh, and then there was the Publius Enigma, which uh, was done by Pink Floyd in 1994 uh, for the Division Bell. You're getting off topic, but uh, no, it was uh, hashtag England. Anyway, uh, <laughs> um, it is unlikely that it would have helped. UK Prime Minister Theresa May has acknowledged that he was not under investigation at the time of the attack, so his communications would not have been the focus of any eavesdropping. If it does turn out that Masood was sending encrypted chats to terrorist handlers, these messages are not necessarily beyond the reach of investigators anyway. After he was shot dead, notice he didn't have a gun, because, you know, he still did a bunch of damage without a gun, something, gun control. Um, after he was shot dead, police officers will have thoroughly searched Masood's vehicle in his home seizing his belongings. The officers obtained his smartphone, if the officers obtained his smartphone, they should be able to access it and recover the WhatsApp text stored on the device, much like how the FBI eventually broke into the San Bernardino attacker's iPhone. And London's Metropolitan Police did not respond to an inquiry on Tuesday on whether they had done so. Um, however, a spokesperson for the British government's home office, which I believe is uh, their Department of State, told The Intercept that it could not answer questions about Rudd's WhatsApp comment. Quote, the government supports encryption in cybersecurity, the spokesperson said in a statement, quote, but it is irresponsible to give terrorists a way to plot online which could not be intercepted by the police and intelligence agencies who are trying to protect the public from further attacks, which I call cognitive dissonance, because we support encryption in cybersecurity, but we don't want you to use it because it could give terrorists a safe space. But we support it. Like, we can use it. We like using it all the time. That's how we're spying on you. But, you know, you can't use it. Just like DRM. DRM only... Like, the, it only hurts honest people. And outlawing encryption would only hurt honest people because, again, anybody with a calculator big enough, honestly, could do this stuff on paper. You don't need some special device unless you're doing really complex operations with most, most modern encryption today does. And you would actually In fact, need a device. Uh, with actually, my first year of college, I had to uh, do RSA encryption on paper. Oh, yeah. No, I have a minor in encryption. I had to do a lot of stuff by hand. And, and, that's, and that's why it really drills home the point when the government's like, you know, this is some, they, they pretend it's something from science fiction. When, you know, it's a piece of alien technology that we harness. No, it's a math problem. And, and as, as the numbers that you're adding and multiplying get bigger, it will require more power to do the math problem. But that's, that's it. So in a country filled with people who don't like mathematics, it makes sense how a lot of them could be buffaloed into thinking that it's evil when it's not. Um, and then, and, and by the way, this uses another reality distortion and psychological warfare technique of emotional reasoning to say that, you know, we just want our mothers and children to be safe from terrorists plotting things online because we know that the next 9-11 will happen, the next 7-7 will happen online in WhatsApp on an encrypted server. Nonsense. Um, let's see. Uh, it is difficult to assert support, and this is one thing that I why I like the Intercept because they actually do some critical thinking here. It is critical. It is difficult to assert support for quote encryption and cybersecurity, however, while also advocating for encryption to be weakened for the pur purposes of surveillance. As security experts have pointed out, a surveillance back door cannot be built into WhatsApp or any other service for the sole purpose of allowing British government to spy on terrorists or other serious crim criminals. Because, why, Christian? Sorry, I was still on the, uh, my off-color comment, <laughs> which, uh, 
We gotta wanna, plow past I, I, it. We have I to plow past it. Though, that it's See, no, the, you're gonna just bring it up again. No, nobody has a good reason people... to change their name unless their first name is Tessa and they're about to marry somebody with the last name Ickle. Otherwise, you're changing a, your name for a reason. It is difficult to assort, assert support for, quote, encryption in cybersecurity, however, while also advocating for encryption to be weakened for the purposes of surveillance. As security experts have pointed out, a surveillance backdoor cannot be built into WhatsApp or any other service for the sole purpose of allowing the British or any other government to spy on terrorists and other serious criminals. Why? Christian? Uh, I, I'm kind of confused. Because the backdoor would create a gaping security hole, which yes, could potentially that, be exploited that, by that, hostile foreign intelligence though. agencies. Like, I, I don't right. understand the logic. You can't create a backdoor for the government to use and no Giggity. one else because it will eventually be used by everybody. Giggity. And then it prolapses. Um, <laughs> Jim Colick, executive director of the London-based Open Rights Group, said he believes the government is grandstanding with its WhatsApp criticism. Quote, they're trying to make a political point rather than making serious demand. This is exactly the same argument that we had with the FBI. And as soon as they managed to figure out what Russian tool they needed to crack the iPhone, they quieted down. Because they also spent a lot of money doing that. So, we still have encryption today, but... Given the attitude of Congress and given the attitude of the new FCC, eh, I don't know. So you're you're going to hear a lot of terrorists and pedophiles use encryption, ISIS. So you know, it's anybody really who owns a bank account uses encryption too. Ooh, that's Shh. bad. Shh. Yes, most people do use encryption on their daily day-to-day -day lives. But you, you know, ever buy something like a mattress? <laughs> Just a anything. But. No, see, we did a callback to the last episode. Ho ho. Hey. Um. <laughs> Alright, I think we need to give that one a break one. today. Yes. You didn't um, take it at all today. It's just like points off. Well, Eric did have the one that he didn't giggity for, but he should have. Talked about Which rockets was what? and propulsions for so long. It did that was last week. No, I'm just talking about the, about creating a back door and everybody using it, which the other response that I, that would have been totally uh, appropriate would have been, oh god, oh god, huh? That one is also sexual. He mentioned gaping back door. Okay, um, I really wish I need some like complex audio routing to have like I want I want the sound effects to duck under the vocals so they play it like a mat like a loud volume, like. But then as soon as you start talking, they like automatically go down, and then when you stop talking, it's kind of just one of those. Anyway. You should write um, that code. It exists in many uh, real audio programs, not just the one that I'm using. Uh, let's take a quick break. Oh. Um, and uh, from this uh, encryption, uh, the government is screwing you. Uh, just real, real quick break and talk about, uh, what are we talking about? We're talking about, I haven't what done this talking in a while. About this? I haven't done this in a while, Christian, I'm sorry. I don't even know. Is it, I think it's, I think it's this one. Sad friends, do you live in New York City? But if you do, Pneumonium has a beautiful new product for you. 
It's called Where Am I? Your five borough compass navigator. To help you get anywhere from Staten Island to the Bronx. Simply go to www.whereami.nyc and enable location services on your mobile device to find the neighborhood, borough, and three closest subway stops to you, wherever you are. No ads, no tracking, just geospatial brilliance. That's Where Am I? Brought to you by Pneumonium. Pneumonium, reinventing media daily. Okay, now let's get back to how the government is screwing you. Um, it's really sad. But, you know, these people got to work 40 hours a week and they run out of things to do after they spend 20 of those hours drinking, so they got to write some laws. And well, you guys aren't laughing probably because that's really true. Um, no, it's not even that they got to write laws. It's the fact that, hey, some company gave them money to write laws. Right, right. That's it. How do we spend, how do we spend this $16 million not, without not taking spending. on any how assets? Do just, how do they justify receiving that money? Because right. a lot of it's lobbying money that uh, is not really directly given to them so much as it's like, hey, we're a lobby. Uh, we're going to take you out for a nice steak dinner, maybe a strip club, go golfing in the morning. It's going to be a good time. Just uh, let's pass a law that says we can uh, eat babies. Right. And call it the Child Protection uh, Security Act of 2017. Yeah. Um, yeah. And a lot, of the, a lot of the lobbyists these days actually write the laws themselves. And yes, they just they hand do. them right over to the That's congressman with the check. That was something started in uh, the Clinton years, if I'm not mistaken. <laughs> oh, interesting. Just like marital infidelity. No, that was JFK. Um, <laughs> anyway, uh, so while the while the uh, while Congress has been trying to find more ways to track you, the CIA has them beat as a new trolls of WikiLeaks information has been delivered um, on March 31st, which was Friday. WikiLeaks, yes. WikiLeaks released another Vault 7 tranche, Marble. It's called 676 source code files for the CIA's secret anti-Semitic, no, sorry, that's anti-forensic Marble framework. You know, the beginning and letters, of, and, and eh, beginning and ends of the, those words look the same. Anyway, uh, might still be anti-Semitic. Marble is used to hamper forensic investigators and antivirus companies from attributing viruses, Trojans, and even hacking attacks to the CIA. Marvel does this by hiding or obfuscating text fragments used in CIA malware from visual inspection. This is the digital equivalent of a specialized CIA tool to place covers over the English language text on U.S. produced weapon systems before giving them to insurgents secretly backed by the CIA. Marvel forms part of the CIA's anti-forensics approach and the CIA's core library of malware code. It is, quote, designed to allow for flexible and easy-to-use obfuscation, such as string obfuscation algorithms, especially those that are unique, and are often used to link malware to a specific developer or development shop or development country, hello, like Russia or China or Iran. No, they're or... talking about covering up their own tricks. Like, uh, uh, no, they, no, they're attributing them to these countries. That's my point. Oh. Well, maybe through the obfuscation. That's what I, like... that's what, did you just pay attention to what I said? Their tool, this marble framework, allows the CIA to obfuscate the code and the uh, certificate yeah. Yeah, with, no, I, with the I code it to sounded... attribute it to whomever they want. Oh, because to me it sounded like they were trying to hide their own uh, attribution. They are. They're trying to, yes. So when it's attributed, yes. it, the attribution goes to Putin or the Kremlin, not to Langley. 
So, uh, and then and then they can say, much like we said with our IP spoof example, which we should have plugged instead of where am I, um, that, you know, it looks like Russian cyber activity has occurred on the server. How, do, how did that happen? Well, maybe the CIA did it, and they used their marble framework to hide their tracks. Um, the marble source code framework also includes a de-obfuscator to reverse CIA text obfuscation. Uh, combined with the revealed obfuscation techniques, a pattern or signature emerges which can assist forensic investigators to attribute previous hacking, previous hacking attacks and viruses to the CIA. Marble was in use at the CIA during 2016. It reached 1.0 in 2015. The source code that shows Marvel has test examples in not just English, but also other important languages, like let's say Chinese, Russian, Korean, Arabic, and Farsi. This would permit a forensic attribution double game. For example, by pretending that the spoken language of the malware vector was not, an Amer not American English, but Chinese, we should replace China with Russia in this example. No, but Russian, and then showing attempts to conceal the use of those Russian, or to conceal the use of Russian, drawing forensic investigators even more strongly to the wrong conclusion. Well, but there are other possibilities, such as hiding fake error messages. Well, it's so, like uh, with the Stuxnet, they tried to blame it on the Israelis. Right, right. And it just led right back to here. And, and with the, the, the Russian hacking of the election last year, this was definitely in play. This was definitely in play. And for them to go, oh, it was the Russians. Well, how do you know? Well, the language was Russian. <laughs> well, after we already did two episodes on Russian hacking, and we told you why that was garbage, and why the line that the government trotted out was garbage, and now we have even more information proving that it could have just been the CIA all along, and it wasn't Russia. Yeah, exactly. Um, what do you think, Christian? I think that from a technical standpoint, this is interesting. <laughs> and uh, you, you reviewed the... Uh, that hit itself. Hmm? Um, I said that hit itself. I didn't even hit the, the fail button. Um, the, but you've, t you've taken a quick look at the uh, Marble Framework source code, yeah? Yes. And uh, how is it, how, do you, can you explain how it works really quickly? Well, you can view binary as, so a big part of it is actually obfuscating the strings in, in binary, which particularly for uh, hard-coded strings, uh, those will actually show up in like an editor. Uh, also, if you just take a dump of memory somewhere that's running, you can see strings. Uh, if you just put right. them into a text editor... Uh, strings will just be decoded. Uh, and that's part of the reason why uh, someone else from our Russian hacking episode, John McAfee, the Keith Richards of code, uh, hopefully he's had some more sleep since then, uh, said that he could decrypt that San Bernardino iPhone in half an hour. If you just let me, if you just hooked up the memory to a computer, man, I can see the string that it's looking to compare the password to, and then I'll tell you what it is, even though the computers don't really do that anymore. Um, that's another story. Hmm. But... So how does how does marble work? Uh, so the way it uh, kind of just does a text transform within the binary itself to say, hey, here's a string that uh, is in the, in the source code or, uh, or the signature itself that says like uh, this was compiled on this computer. Uh, taking that and changing it in such a way that it looks like it was compiled on a different computer in a different language, 
uh, it's kind of tackling it from a, looking at binary as text. So you take a pre-compiled binary executable, which is just a regular program, yes. and it will, and you can splice the compiled uh, program in a way that allows them to obfuscate uh, the strings and obfuscate anything that could be used to attribute the binary back to them. Yes. And what I'll say about this is, why does the government spend time on this? <laughs> well, when why, you have, when you have an unlimited on, budget... Yeah, why can't it spend time on more important things, like getting McDonald's to bring back that Mulan Szechuan sauce? Up, updating iTunes? <laughs> updating iTunes. That's basically, I mean, look, when you have a virtually unlimited budget and really no oversight, and you have this perpetual fear, fear of uh, everyone's going to hack you unless you hack them first... I've, that totally could lead to something like this. Oh, absolutely. It's and the just... fact that this was... Remember, we have to uh, say this really loudly. I'm not going to yell it into the microphone, but this was really happening firmly under Obama. Yes. Uh, For, fact, and Obama... probably W and probably a little late uh, late Clinton, too, I'm sure. Possibly, Definitely, but so Obama, the elite... Obama's uh, hands are red uh, with a lot of cyber uh, cyber war. Uh, if you, uh, Stuxnet, uh, well, that was something that was started under uh, W. Uh, it was, uh, so funding for that was increased uh, to double with Obama. Uh, and then he also, um, it, there is no official admittance to cyber offense, but there are clearly things out there uh, through WikiLeaks and other things that yes, uh, under the Obama administration, the CIA and there's another organization that's kind of like a take a, a few guys from the NSA, take a few guys from the CIA, and they make up some whole other organization, even though they're employed under those two. And uh, the baloney of government, pretty much. Uh, <laughs> they are. Uh, it's an organization specifically to build cyber weapons. That's great because you know if we don't if we don't have all the cyber weapons, then someone's going to use one against us. Or something like that. I don't know. Um, but it is very, it's very important to remember that this did happen under the president that everybody still wishes was around. Um, so that's, that's very, uh, very important. And the fact this is uh, being used... I mean, knowing that this exists and then having to watch network news, which I don't, and none of us do, because I don't think any of us have... Or you, you have a television, but it doesn't have cable. Uh, Christian, um... <laughs> to having to watch network news with this continual like Russia is responsible for everything that's wrong in the world right now narrative, and then you see oh uh, anything that looks like real evidence can easily be debunked by common computer knowledge, and then plus some cursory looks at WikiLeaks. I mean, I don't know. I don't know. There's another on the heels of Marble. By the way, if you want to use Marble, just download it from WikiLeaks and then include Marble.h in your C or C++ program, and then you or can... Or any language that also uh, supports the C library, files. which is all languages. Really? Yeah, uh, I'd say... How about PHP? Yeah, PHP is almost entirely using C libraries under the hood. I can do, like, hash include, but hash is a comment in, in No, PHP. no, that's, that's not... No, it's a different thing. Uh, okay. You, like, you ever notice there's uh, compiled extensions to PHP? Oh, yes, so you can compile this as a, like, a .so, or whatever it is. Chances are it's a .so, it's just a shared object. Otherwise it'd be gotcha. an archive, which you can also do, like, a whole 
conversion, it's weird, but you can convert archives to shared objects. Gotcha. Well, I think we're running out of time. Uh, one thing I wanted to mention is there's another CIA cool tool that was l- released as part of this WikiLeaks, le- uh, WikiLeaks tranche, and that is right under, on the, almost on the same page as the Marble Framework, is Dark Matter. Oh, it's from a week ago. Uh, WikiLeaks, so the last, I mean, we can honestly make this a weekly segment, but the wiki, weekly WikiLeaks, wiki, weekly, weekly leaks. Hey, there we go. Okay. Um, <laughs> uh, WikiLeaks released uh, Dark Matter, which contains documentation for several CIA projects that infect Apple Macintosh firmware. Meaning that the infection persists even if the operating system is reinstalled and the device is formatted. This was developed by CIA's Embedded Development Branch. These documents explain the techniques used by the CIA to gain, quote, persistence on Apple Macintosh devices, including Macintoshes and iPhones, that demonstrate... iPhone is not a Macintosh device. <coughs> WikiLeaks. And demonstrate their use of EFI, UEFI firmware and malware. Now, my Hackintosh actually has EFI in it. Uh, or you at EFI, I should say. Uh, so it's vulnerable to this. I'd say most computers have UEFI Which, at, the, at the moment. I mean, most computers today do have uh, UEFI on them, but it's not active. I think a lot of computers still natively boot into the BIOS. No. no? Most, most, if they have UEFI, the way they ship from the factory, they're going to use UEFI. I don't I, I don't think that's true because Windows had a problem with UEFI for a while. It, you, I've seen a, quite a few motherboards that they boot up in BIOS but you can switch the BIOS to UEFI. So that's that's not the that that used to be the case uh years ago, uh like 2 or 3 years ago. Oh, so uh, like post days, Windows though, 10. Yeah, these say, days yeah. Uh, Windows uh is probably actually got some of the more substantial support for UEFI uh does the nice fast boot which wow it's actually nice unless you want to get windows off of your machine in which case it's actually a horrible thing and very painful <laughs> and then it turns into this historic and then it turns into the cia rootkit dark matter uh which is what happens when you try to install windows from a macintosh no uh let's see among others these documents reveal the sonic screw i thought you would have laughed at that reveal reveal the sonic screwdriver project which as explained by the cia is quote a mechanism for executing code on peripheral devices while a mac laptop or desktop is booting allowing an attacker to boot its attack software for example from a usb stick quote even when a firmware password is enabled the cia's sonic screwdriver infector is stored on the modified firmware of an apple thunderbolt to ethernet adapter not even on the computer they they've hijacked an adapter well yes this is why you don't plug things in that you find in a parking lot but everything is an adapter these oh oh in the in the parking lot it was free. The, guy, the guy the guy who was wearing the coat said i could get i could get that adapter for a dollar yeah, yeah you said like to close your bucks. eyes and suck on the hose right yeah they said there was no water that day either. Uh, Dark Sea Skies is an implant that... I thought you were going to laugh at that too, man. I'm off. Uh, Dark Sea <laughs> Skies is an... <laughs> is an is not to be confused with the Dead Sea Scrolls. The Dark Sea Skies is an, is an implant that persists... And you like implants, Tyler. That persists... I'm just off. I'm not going to keep making jokes. If you uh, jokes an implant that persists... hour and a half, I'll laugh. Oh, okay. Uh, now, see, that was funny. Uh, 
Uh, is an implant that d dark sea skies start again is an implant that persists in the efi firmware of an apple macbook air oh, apple macbook air computer and consists of dark matter cp and night skies c s e a p e a christian not cp the linux copy ASPCA, command cca dude sure yeah. um respectively efi kernel space and user space implants Documents on the Triton Mac OS 10 malware, its infector Dark Mallet, and its EFI persistent version Distarka are also included in this release. Wow. While CI assets are sometimes used to physically infect systems in the custody of a target, excuse me, it is likely that many CIA physical access attacks have infected the target organization's supply chain by including indirect mail orders. Oh, sorry. Oh. Jesus Christ! Uh, while CIA assets are sometimes used to physically infect systems in the custody of a target, it is in the custody of a target should be comma. It is likely that many CIA physical access attacks have infected the target organization's supply chain, including by interdicting, interdicting mail orders and other shipments, as in opening, infecting, and repackaging, leaving the U.S. or otherwise. So, the CIA intercepts mail shipments, and then unboxes the devices, infects them with malware, and sends them back out. I thought China were the, were the people doing this, not us. Anything they can do, we can do better. <laughs> Did you happen to look into, um, the Dark Seas Skies source code, Christian? Uh, I did not get a chance to. Uh, it's a bit over my head. <laughs> really? I don't. I don't venture into that land. <laughs> into into uh, root kits that uh, infect firmware. Yeah. No. That is. Uh... Shouldn't that be where you wanna? Shouldn't nope. that be where you wanna go though? Nope. That's like. Nope. 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 Why? That's like. Nope. 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 Why though? It should be like so. Um... I, I don't. I don't. Uh, I, I don't screw with that. <laughs> Figure one point one. Apple Thunderbolt to Ethernet adapter. Uh, there's the firmware password, and then you just plug it in, and then it... This is ridiculous. Anyway, go to wikileaks.org and search for, um, Sonic Screwdriver or, uh, Dark Sea Skies, S-E-A, and, uh, read some of this because it is quite fascinating, and the fact that this has been around for many years and is only coming out now, while people still remain willfully ignorant of all of the government's tools and, and, and uh, technological capacities. They think that we're the good guys and that we only spy on terrorists and anybody that we spy on there's a reason. Rather than just everything is tapped. Everything that you do is already being aggregated. You know, maybe Congress only, maybe Congress repealed the FCC regulations because they realized that private companies should just be able to do what the government is already doing, which is tracking everything that you do, aggregating it, analyzing it, and probably selling it. Right. Yeah, I think the government sells stuff. They still are down. Christian, are you uh, are you talking to somebody on OKCupid okay or something? What's going on? Uh, it's getting late. Is the issue? Ah, yes. I yes. think we do have to go. So, uh, just do a quick ch check of the outline really quickly. I mean, do you have anything about that? Like, I what? I think I just I think I might have figured it out. The government just wants private industry to do what they're already doing. Yeah. So, yeah, that, that makes sense. 
It does make sense. And on that note, I think it's time to end. So, Christian, do you approve of this week's pull request? LGTM. Uh, Tyler, how about you? Yep. And I will also hit approve, and then we can moit. And we'll see you all next week, right here on Pull Request. This has been a Pneumonium production. The views and opinions expressed on Pull Request do not necessarily reflect those of Pneumonium LLC or its subsidiaries.